0: Father, we pray that this time is a time that we dig in, that we listen, that we hear your spirit as you speak to us through your word, that your word is the thing that goes before us. It's the very thing that prepares us, it calls us, it corrects us. And Lord, we pray that our lives would be lined up with your word and not with our opinions, not with the political ideologies that are out there and not even with worldly opinions and worldly ideas, but God, that we would base everything that we do upon your word. God, speak to us through it. May your spirit convict us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Take your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter nine. Luke chapter nine, we get there, we're gonna be in verse 18. Luke chapter nine, starting verse 18. We're continuing our New Testament, or our new through 90, uh, the New Testament, 90 days, all right? And this week, as you were reading through, There are a number of things that you saw parallel. Matter of fact, today's text in Luke chapter nine is also paralleled in Matthew. I believe in uh, Matthew, let me clarify and make sure I just left my notes off, but Matthew chapter 16, as well as Mark chapter eight. And so you see them in different lights and in different ways. There are episodes or there are things that are left out in Luke nine that are, are encouraged or built upon in Matthew chapter nine. And part of that stems from the point of writing what they wrote. In other words, Matthew was writing to a Jewish audience. So Matthew has some very strict statements towards those who are followers of the law, but not willing to follow Jesus. And so Matthew, when he approaches his stories, tries to connect with people who are really close, who say, hey, we're Israelites, we're going to follow the law, we're going to be very legalistic in that. Luke is writing, and for those of you who don't know, Luke is writing uh, to Theophilus, and he's the eyewitness testimony of what 's gone on, and he's saying, "Listen, these are things that I have looked into, I have researched, I have talked to the eyewitnesses, and here 's the account that i 'm given and so Luke in Luke chapter nine, is following up to give you an idea of what 's going on he 's followed up the sending out of the twelve disciples, so Jesus has sent them out he 's launched out the twelve disciples, and then after launching them out, after sending them out. He feeds the 5,000. If you know anything about Scripture, you know that he feeds the 5,000 from five loaves and two fish, right? And in the midst of that, we see more and more people following Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 18, follow along with me. If you don't have it, you can follow along on the screen above. It says, once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them this question. Who do the crowds say I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. And then I love this question, because we can have all the ideas of what the world says, but then Jesus throws the question in in their lap. But what about you? Who do you say I am? Right, and here's what happens. Peter answers, the Christ of God, Jesus strictly warned them not to tell anyone this, and he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to all of them, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Jesus, listen, has sent out his 12 disciples. He feeds the 5,000. And as a result of some of those things that's going on, people to begin to form ideas and thoughts and beliefs about who Jesus is, right? And so there's this question Jesus asks, who does people say I am? And it's a lot of questions that we could go around. You could go around at work and say, hey, who is Jesus to you? And you're going to have all kinds of different opinions, all kinds of different beliefs. If you go overseas, you can go up to somebody and go, who is Jesus to you? Some people would say, I know who Jesus is. Some people have never heard of Jesus. Some people would say, if they're of the uh, Muslim or Islamic background, would say, hey, Jesus was a great prophet. He wasn't the son of God. There's all kinds of opinions and ideologies based upon the teachings of Jesus. And there's lots of people who would say, hey, listen, he was a great prophet. He was a great man and his teachings are good. And Jesus gets to the point where he says, listen, here's the deal. There are lots of opinions and ideologies that people have about me, but who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? And he's asking the disciples this in a very specific way. Because following Jesus has to be based upon the fact that I understand and realize who he is I understand and acknowledge his teaching and that I line my life up with that. Because anything else would just be literally following the line. In other words, if you say, Jesus was a great prophet. Okay, well, if Jesus is a great prophet and you're going to hold to his teachings, Jesus makes some very specific claims that if you don't line up with those teachings, then you can't say you follow Jesus. Does that make sense? I'll I'll use the example. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If Jesus is a great prophet, right? He's a great prophet and I follow his teachings, but yet at the same time, I'm like, nah, I'm not gonna really line up or put myself into that. I'm not gonna believe that text. I'm not gonna uh, uh, put my trust in that, that he says he is the way, the truth, and the life. And it's important for us to understand the versus a, right? Like there's this, word called the definite article, the, and I've said it in the past, you know, we we joke around about the Chiefs and the Broncos and things like that. But I, when I say the greatest team in all of football, no, (laughs) right? There's a very different thing. And, or if I was to say a great team in football, do you hear what I'm saying? There is a very specific difference in what goes on. Because I'm making an exclusive claim versus a claim that says, oh, they're one of many. So when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he makes an exclusive claim. And if I say, well, he's a great prophet, and I'm following his teachings, but I don't believe that Jesus is the only way, then Jesus couldn't be a great prophet. Because he made exclusive claims that when we line our lives up with, we have to begin to understand that we have to have faith and trust in and so, what we want to do today, I want to answer two questions. Number one, who is Jesus, and then what does it mean to follow Him? In America, we have a very simple idea of what it means to follow Jesus. Following Jesus costs me nothing. In America, most people would sit back and say it costs me nothing to follow Jesus. When what Jesus lays out is, it's going to cost you everything. So here is question number one: Who? is Jesus. And I want to give you the main idea, the main thought. If you remember anything else, I want you to remember this. Remember, we talk about highlight, explain, apply, respond. Jesus is the Messiah, so I must lose my life to save it. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Savior. And so I must lose my life in order to save it. And here's what he says, starting in verse 18. If you follow along again, once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowd say I am? Lots of people say all kinds of things, and listen to what they say. Some say, Jesus, you're John the Baptist. Now here's the problem. John the Baptist came, and what did he say? I'm not Jesus. Jesus isn't me. As a matter of fact, Jesus is greater than me because his thongs, the thongs of his sandals, I can't even carry. There is one greater than me who is coming, is what John the Baptist says. John the Baptist says, I came to prepare the way for the Lord. So when people say, well, he was John the Baptist, no, that's not true, because John the Baptist would even clarify and say, I am not Jesus, Jesus is not me, we're completely different, we're separate, we're different people. Some say Elijah. Now, if you know anything about scripture, John the Baptist was viewed as the Elijah of the New Testament. Elijah was called to prepare the way for the Lord in the Old Testament, and likewise, if you read the Gospel of John, John the Baptist was in comparison, or the idea that he was the Elijah of the New Testament, who has gone out to prepare the way for the Lord. He's in the wilderness. He's calling people to repentance. He's calling people to Christ. He's calling people to follow the Lord. And then others say he was a great prophet. But what I want you to see is this. Here's what ends up happening, right? Peter, James, John, Matthew, some of these people who have grown up understanding and knowing the law, knowing Israelite tradition and customs and religious stuff, he comes and he asks this question, but what about you? And that's the question we all have to ask ourselves. Who do you say Jesus is? And if your idea of Jesus is anything other than what Scripture teaches, then what we have to begin to understand is this is where we talk about aligning my life, aligning my beliefs, aligning my moral thoughts, aligning everything that I can under the authority of Scripture, under the headship of Jesus Christ. So who is the Messiah? Jesus is. Who is Jesus? He is the Messiah. Listen to what they say. Who do you say I am? Peter says the Christ of God. For us to understand that in the Greek word, the Greek word would mean literally Messiah in Hebrew, right? The Greek word Christ literally is the Hebrew word for Messiah. If you know anything about Messiah, it means this Savior, the anointed one, the one of God. You ever heard somebody say he's got a Messiah authority or an idea? He's got a a Messiah personality? It's like as a person who believes they save, maybe it's a business, maybe it's a team, He's just got a Messiah complex. Anybody ever heard that? Maybe I'm just the only one, right? When somebody has a Messiah complex, it's somebody who thinks they can save other people or save a business or things like that. They come in and they're like, I am the one who's gonna deliver the anointed one. You know, sometimes it's a joke. Maybe there are sports or athletes who think they're the anointed ones, (laughs) right? You know, but literally what Peter is saying, he's saying is that Jesus is the chosen one by God, to rule and govern his people and to govern all peoples. So this is great news, right? Peter comes out and he says this. Who do you say that I am? You're the Christ, you're the one of God. You are the one of, the the Christ of God. You are laid out for that. So who do you say Jesus is today? That's the question you have to ask. Who do I say Jesus is? And if I say that Jesus is the Messiah, then I have to begin to align my life under him. Why? Because Jesus is very exclusive in what he says. Number two, what we have to understand what he does. He came to die for man's sins. So we see who is the Messiah, these two questions, and what does it mean to follow him? Number one, he's the Messiah. Number two, he came to die for man's sins. So that shows his work. Jesus' work was to come and die for man's sins. So, Jesus is the anointed one whom God had promised to send. At, as Jesus approaches his deathlessness, he was beaten, he was bruised, he was crushed, he was crowned with a crown of thorns, he was mocked on, he was spit on, yet he died for the same individuals who put him there, the same individuals like us who held him there, the ones who mocked him, the ones who, 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 who beat him, who persecuted him, who, who, who crowned him with thorns. Jesus is the very one who went to the cross to bear the sins of the world, and at the same time, listen, he died for the sins of mankind. And as he dies for the sins of mankind, here's the great news about it. It says, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders. He was also rejected by the chief priests. He was rejected by the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. You know, I had somebody once say, well, If the Pharisees wouldn't have done that, Jesus wouldn't have died. And if Jesus wouldn't have died, here's the truth of the matter. We would all be stuck in the same situation we were back then. But the truth of the matter is, regardless of what happens, what we have to begin to understand is God's omniscience and God's authority and God's power and everything and and his control over timing. Listen, Jesus was going to die, period. You know, I've had... Some people even say, you know, man, oh, it would have been wholly different, totally different if, if the disciples would have fought back. If they would have rescued Jesus. Really? If they would have rescued Jesus, he would have died later. Because that would have been the will of the Father at that point. And it's important for us to understand this. He came to die for man's sins. But the death of Jesus was not a mistake, it was not a tragedy, it was a necessity. And that's what he lays out. So when Peter confesses, Jesus, you're the Messiah. I'm acknowledging you are the anointed one sent by God. And then Jesus goes, that's great. Be quiet. Don't say a thing. And then he tells him, here's the deal. Now, I want you to think about this. Who is the one that denied Jesus three times? Huh? Peter. So Peter denies Jesus three times after just confessing Jesus is what? Yeah, you're the anointed one. You're the one who's going to die. You're the one who's going to pay the price for the sins that I couldn't pay for my own. Peter confesses Jesus is the Messiah, but yet at the same time later goes and denies Jesus, right? I want you to even think about it this way. Jesus, if you were to read the, the, the gospel account here in Matthew, if you were following along with this this week, or even in Mark, Jesus basically tells the disciples, "Hey, I'm going to be killed, I'm going to be hung on the cross." I'm going to do that. And if you remember anything, what does Peter also do? He rebukes Jesus. He says, over my dead body, get this idea? Over my dead body, are you going to die? We're not going to allow that to happen. And what does Jesus do to Peter? Yeah, he rebukes him. Get behind me, what? Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Why? Because it's not the work of the Father. Jesus had an appointment to die. Jesus had a reason to die. Jesus had a direction that he was going. And what we have to begin to understand is that when we align our lives, when we confess Jesus the Messiah, then we have to begin to align our life with that. We can deny Jesus and he will forgive us. We can say, Jesus, that's not the direction we want you to go and he will rebuke us. But listen to me when I say this, that Jesus' plan always plays out because that's the priority with which he came. And so it's important for us to understand, who is this Jesus? Number one, he's the Messiah. Number two, he came to die for man's sins. So here is the second question I said we were going to pose. Number one question was, who is Jesus? Number two, I said, what does it mean then to follow Christ? What does it mean to follow him? All right? So if you're following along in verses 23 through 26, we're going to unpack those three things just to wrap kind of this portion up. There are three conditions of discipleship that we see in this text. Three conditions. Three things that Jesus expects. Three things that Jesus says, this is what it's going to cost you in order to follow me. Now, in today's American culture, for the most part, we don't deal with a lot of this. But what I venture to say is this, Over the coming months and years, what we even saw over the last year is an increased pressure for people to stand for Jesus or to cater, cower, and walk away. It's an increased pressure to begin to cater to the world and say, that's okay. We'll line ourselves up with you over the truth of scripture. It's okay to accept an individual's sin. That's not true at all. We have to begin to understand what goes on. You can love a person and disagree with them, contrary to what the media says, contrary to even what the world says. You can disagree with an individual's lifestyle and still love them. You don't have to accept the behavior that is inappropriate, that is out of line with Scripture, that doesn't line up with the teachings that Jesus laid out. If I don't line myself up with Jesus' teachings... We're going to unpack that here in just a second. There is a clear denial of who Jesus is as a result. That's where we have to begin to understand. When I don't line myself up with the teachings of Jesus, then there is a clear denial of Jesus in the first place. So what are the three conditions? Number one, here's the hard one. Here's the one that everybody wants to look at. I have to deny what? Deny myself uh-oh, this just wreaks havoc for everybody. Whether you are a blood-bought Christian who is living a, a, a life of obedience to Jesus or you're a person who says, listen, nobody should ask me to give up things that I like. Listen to what Jesus says. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. What's Anyone? anyone is what? Anyone, right? There is no exclusivity here. In other words, Jesus says, the door is wide open for you to come and follow me. But in order to come and follow me, you have to walk through the door of denial. In other words, you have to deny yourself, deny your selfish interests, deny your self-righteousness, deny your self ideology of saying, I want to promote myself and see myself as primary. I'm going to do all the work myself. I want to be the one who does everything. It's a rejection of a life of self-interest and self-fulfillment. Jesus says, you have to learn to deny what you want. Matter of fact, we can go into this in all kinds of avenues and modes and responsibilities. I have to learn to deny certain interests that I might have that are more based upon worldly ideas. I have to deny the desire to be the one who sits on the throne, who sits at the top, who is above all. I have to deny this idea that I have to pursue self-satisfaction, whether it's through sex or addiction or things like that. I deny those things. I deny myself. And that's literally what he says. If anyone would come after me. It's this idea of chasing or following or longing after Jesus. If anyone, doors wide open for anybody to come, would come after me to follow Jesus, then they have to deny themselves. And here's the reason why. Because when I deny myself, I make it all about Jesus Christ. Listen, we are in a world that's all about ourselves, right? Like when we go into somewhere and we're introducing ourselves, we usually start with Our name, we talk about who we are and what we do, right? We talk about our family members. We begin to build up ourselves and we maybe share stories about ourselves and the things we did, some stupid, some funny, some really trying to blow ourselves up. It's like a fishing story, right? Like I caught one this big. And Greg will tell you, no, it was really this big. (laughs) Right? Like stories grow. And so when he's talking about this idea of denying self, the question I have to ask you is this. Are you willing to let Jesus change everything about you? Are you willing to allow Jesus to change everything about you? How you act, what you say, what you do, what you invest in, how you treat your loved ones, how authentic and real you are with others. What you do with your finances, what you do with your life, even, let me clarify some things that are kind of going on, your sexual ideologies and thought processes, as well as your gender thought processes. Are you willing to let Jesus change everything about you? Because there are a lot of things that are going on right now in our world that are more based upon psychology than science. I remember saying back in the day that the minute psychology trumped science, we're in trouble. Well, psychology has now trumped science. And what he says in this is that you have to deny yourself. What the world says is, no, be true to who you think you are. You can change. You don't have to follow any guidelines or moral standards. You don't have to do any of that. This whole idea of denial is the same term. Listen. Listen. It's the same term when Peter denies Jesus. Deny yourself, just as Peter denied Jesus. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know that, dude. And you should sit back and go, I'm denying myself. I don't know who he was. I don't know what's going on, but I'm going to follow after Jesus. Denying myself plays huge implications in my life. Because I don't know about you, but I am very self-centered at times. It's easier to focus on me than to look at other people. It's easier to focus on my needs and my thoughts and my wants and my desires than it is to look at other people. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 says this, when I talk about ourselves, you are not your own, you were bought at a price. So it's important. Three conditions of discipleship. Number one, I deny myself. Number two, that I take up my cross, and listen to what he says, Daily. So there's this idea, there's this call for commitment to follow Jesus, listen, to death. To follow Jesus to the death. That's what his call to his disciples was. Are you willing to follow me to the death? Are you willing to lay your life on the line for the truth and the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you willing to stand up and say, listen, I know you may not agree with me, but this is the way scripture says about things. This is what Jesus teaches us. This is how we're supposed to respond. Because this idea of this New Testament in 90 days, we have to begin to let the scripture infiltrate us. And as it infiltrates us, it has to influence us. And when it influences us, it's calling us to change. So I begin to line my life up with that. It's a call for commitment to follow Jesus to death. And listen, it does cost to follow Jesus. It may cost you friendships. It may cost you influence with other people. It may cost you your life. American Christianity, I'll be honest, for some reason has given us this idea that Christianity uh, is, is no cost or the cost is rather low to follow Jesus, when the truth of the matter is that the stakes have always been high, that we're seeing more and more assault on the Christian faith than ever before, and that's outside the United States, but it's also inside. Anybody ever follow what's going on overseas in Africa, some of the Middle East countries, where entire villages in Africa are being wiped out because this village is Christian? And there are Muslim and Hindu and Buddhist terrorists in various areas, both in Southeast Asia and Africa, they're coming in and wiping out entire villages. Telling people to deny Jesus. If you deny Jesus, we'll let you live. Otherwise, you're going to die. When Jesus says, take up your cross, he's literally saying, you have to take up your cross. And what he says is daily. What Jesus does here is draws a line in the sand. And he says, if you want to follow me, you got to take up your cross. And what I'm afraid oftentimes in our lives is we have set the cross down and we run around on the playground of the world. And then when it's okay, when it's not going to cost me a lot, I'll pick up that cross for a little bit and I'm going to hold on to it. And I might walk around a little bit, but when it gets difficult, I'm gonna set it back down. And when I set it back down, I can fit in with everybody else. Listen, the call to follow Jesus, again, the conditions of discipleship, to deny myself, to take up my cross, and then listen to what he says, to follow me. This idea of follow is what we call a present imperative. Anybody know what that means? Good, I'm gonna tell you. A present imperative means it's always in the present. It's a timeless situation, right? So when Jesus says, follow me, he wants us to follow him continually, daily, over and over and over and over again. And an imperative is a command. It's a statement of command. So when Jesus says, if anybody wants to follow me or if anybody wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me daily, it's a command that Jesus has given. The following aspect plays out. And here's what he says as he does that. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. but Whoever loses his life for me will save it. Here's the reality of what takes place. Jesus says this. If you want to save your life, you're going to lose it. And there's a lot of people who go, I'm going to save my life. I'm going to do a bunch of good deeds. I'm going to give. I'm going to sacrifice. There are going to be great things like that, but they have no interest in putting their faith and trust in Jesus. So Jesus lays it out. Whoever wants to save his life is gonna lose it. Lots of people wanna save their lives, but they're not willing to give it up. And so they're gonna lose it. But Jesus then goes on and he says this, but whoever loses his life for my sake or for me will save it. When we go to Jesus and we acknowledge that Jesus is the only way to salvation, when we acknowledge that Jesus paid the price for our sins, when we put our faith and trust in him, when we believe, as as the scripture says, believe that he died on the cross and believe that God rose from the grave, we'll confess that he died on the cross and believe in our heart that God rose him from the grave that we'll be saved. When that takes place, listen to me, when that takes place, that is what saves you. And it's not by your works, Ephesians chapter two, verse eight. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not by works. In other words, it's not anything that you did. It's the fact that Jesus was working on your heart. The spirit is tugging at you, calling you to salvation. And he does the work through Christ. And in that, in my belief, then he changes my heart. My heart lines up with what's going on. The spirit is calling me. And I say, Lord, yes, I believe. And that's what takes place. And listen, here's what he says. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? Here's what I want you to understand. When it talks about this, for whoever wants to save his life, so that word for life there is from the Greek term what we call souke Anybody wanna know where we get psychology from? souke Psychology is the study of life, or it's the study of the mind, right? It's the study of the soul. So Jesus says whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will save it. Modern psychology says be whatever you want to be, do whatever you want to do. You're the only one that matters. And Jesus says, that's a sure way to lose your life. But listen, when you lose your life because I bought you with a price, then you actually save it. And now here's what happens. Jesus begins to rebuild or change everything about me. It's this idea of of cutting away what I don't need. Giving me what I do need, giving me a new life, giving me a new attitude, giving me a new personality, giving me a new thought process, putting newness in me, and listen, cutting away the old junk, getting rid of what I don't need. Listen to what Luke chapter 14, verse 27 says, and whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. So it's to carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And listen to what he says. I, I, I think about this over and over and over again. You would have to hear our son back when he was two and three. There was a DC Talk song. Or I say DC Talk, sorry. Toby Mac song. Um, I don't want to gain the whole world and lose my soul. And Ethan would say, I don't want to kangaroo my sword. So every time I read this text of scripture, we'd be singing in the car. Or we'd be listening to that song and you'd hear Ethan go, I don't want to kangaroo my sword. <laughs> and it was it was. I don't want to gain the whole world but lose my soul, right? So every time I read this text, I'm like, I don't want to kangaroo my sword. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like it's like when my wife tells me that's not the way the song goes. I'm like, yes, it is. She's like, no, it's not pulls up the lyrics. I'm like, well, that's the way I'm going to sing it, because that's the way I've been singing it for years. So it's just the way it is, right? Okay. But listen, this whole idea, Jesus lays it out. Why do you want to gain the whole world and yet lose your very, and what he carries on here where it says self is you lose your very life. The same thing he's talking about, the psuche, the soul, the mind, the life, the body. If you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, it's carrying the same idea that I use every bit of who I am to follow Jesus. Jesus never allows a person to stay the same. If you are the same now as you were a year ago, if you're a believer in Jesus, then Jesus isn't working in you because you're not allowing him to. Sin is running rampant and sin is controlling you. But listen, when I follow Jesus and allow Jesus to change me and allow the Spirit to convict me and allow Scripture to overwhelm me and overcome me and call me to correction, then I change my life. Then I align myself with what Jesus teaches. And listen to what he says. If anyone is ashamed of me, it's not just the fact of being ashamed of Jesus, but listen to what he says. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, Jesus says, if you're ashamed of me and my words, then I'm ashamed of you. Ouch. And the question would be, am I really a follower of Jesus if I'm ashamed of him and I'm ashamed of his words? Because Jesus lays the gauntlet down in a certain extent when he says this. "says this If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the Holy Angels, Listen, this whole idea of being ashamed literally means to disown or, get this, deny Jesus. Whew. Wait a second. Peter confesses Jesus. Peter denies Jesus. Jesus comes to Peter. Peter, do you love me? You know I love you, Lord. Feed my sheep. Right? Here's the truth of what takes place. Following Jesus is a consistent struggle that we have to deal with because denying ourselves is the hardest thing. Denying yourself is hard. It's not easy. And what we have to begin to understand is the only way we can deny ourselves is through the strength and power and the authority of what Jesus does in our life. See, Jesus never allows a person to say the same. He calls them out to repentance. He calls them to change. He calls us to change. He calls us to repentance. He changes us from the inside out. So who is this Jesus? He's the Messiah. Why did he come? To suffer, to die on the cross, to be rejected, to die and rise again. But what does that mean for me? What that means for me is this, that I have to deny myself, that I have to pick up my cross daily and I have to follow him. And I can only do that through the strength and the authority of Jesus and what he does in my life. And listen, when I'm done following him in this life, I will follow him into his resurrection, into the resurrection when he comes back. King Jesus defeated death by doing long ago what he asks us to do today. He only asks us to carry our crosses because he already carried the main and the only cross that ever really mattered. And if you ever thought about this, I think the Roman people would think we were absolutely nuts. A symbol of torture, a symbol of death, a symbol of pain and agony and suffering is the very symbol that oftentimes we, you know, we have. We have, we have on churches and stuff like that. But I want you to think about this. It's not just about the cross. It's about who was on the cross. It's the fact that Jesus died the most painful, agonizing, worst death at the time that we knew of humanity and he dies and he pays the price for everybody else who can't pay that price for themselves. Listen, denial of self does not mean that all of a sudden you get big and you go, I'm not gonna just worry about myself. It means that you can't do it on yourself. You can't do it for yourself. You can't pay the price for yourself. Remember? Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. When you try and save your life on your own, you're gonna lose it. That's what Jesus is laying out here. So in order to follow Jesus, I have to, listen, I have to deny myself. I have to take up my cross and I have to follow him. And so here's very simply how I wanna wrap up. I'm gonna pray. We're gonna close with a brief song. And I want to ask you just that simple question because I I believe wholeheartedly those are the three conditions of discipleship. The three conditions that Jesus lays out. If you are a follower of me, here's what you need to do. Deny that you can do it on your own. Deny that you can do it on your own. Take up your cross and follow me daily. That's what he's saying. And when I do that, then I acknowledge that Jesus is the only way that I can have a relationship with the Father, that I have the promise of eternal life, that he's going to pay my sins because he's already done it. All I have to do is confess it. Father, we thank you for today. God, may we align our lives with your word because your word, scripture, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. And so, Lord, maybe... Maybe we haven't denied ourselves or maybe we've tried to do it on our own, tried to do all the good things, but yet we're not getting anywhere. We feel like we're spinning our wheels. And Father, I pray that you would just reveal that to whoever it is, that they need you. They need a saving relationship with you. And that as they pursue after you, as they follow you daily, as they take up their cross, and follow you, that they would pursue the truth of your word. We don't want to be people who deny you. We don't want to be people who rejected you or who are ashamed of you or your word. But that we live in obedience to that. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to close with this song. If you want to be prayed for, I'm going to be up here. If you want to make a decision to follow Jesus, you say, hey, listen, this is what I need. I want to, I want to follow Jesus. I want to follow him in baptism. Baptism is your public profession of faith, but you want to make it public, you want to say, this is the direction I'm going to go, Then we're going to ask you to do that. This is a simple way to follow out. Remember what he says, not to be ashamed of Jesus, but to put your faith and trust in him to walk out and walk out. Let's close with this song, and then we'll be dismissed.